Well, here's a question to get us started. If I could guarantee that in the next 20 minutes or so, I would show you God's definitive will for your life, would you be interested? Seriously, would you want to find out? I might be wrong. I'm guessing probably a whole bunch of us could do with knowing God's will right now. I don't know, perhaps you're facing an important life decision. Maybe you're desperate to find a way out or an answer in a particular situation. Could just be you haven't heard God speak to you for quite some time and you're beginning to just lack a bit of direction or focus. It's like, how do I work out what God wants me to do if, if only it speak to me and show me? Well, if that's you, today could be your lucky day. I want you to get ready for revelation from heaven directly into your living room or wherever you're watching this. Are you listening? You really don't want to miss this. Here we go. If you've got a Bible and have read it, you already know 99% of God's will for your life. The teachings of Jesus and of the New Testament in particular, they're rammed full of God's will for your life. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses this specific phrase, God's will for you, twice in this letter to the Thessalonians that we've been looking at for the last few months now. If you remember, he used it back in chapter four, where he says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And he then goes on to contrast how we view sexuality as followers of Jesus to culture at large. It's pretty black and white that the call to holiness and purity, particularly around sex and sexuality. And in today's passage, we're going to find another clear insight into God's will for our lives. Let's have a read of what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 16 to 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Three short verses with three simple commands. But as we're going to see, there is so much here. I want us to take them one at a time, try and dig a bit deeper into what these instructions reveal about God's will for our lives today. Number one, always be joyful. Always be joyful. Now, first things first, I want you to notice that this is a command. So joy, it isn't just a feeling that comes over you when everything's going well. It is that, but it's also something that you do as an act of obedience to Jesus. There are times where joy does come over you and it just overwhelms you in the moment, but there are other times where joy is this deliberate, conscious, tenacious act 
of the will, when you're tired, when you're grumpy, when nothing seems to be going right, when you're cross with the world and you make this decision as an act of obedience to Jesus towards joy, towards rejoicing, to celebrate. Now let's be honest, this is going to require a bit of a change of mindset for many of us, isn't it? Because I think we have this tendency to, most of the time, view our role in joy as being passive. But here we learn, no, it is also active. It's a command. Now, let's just consider this for a moment. What kind of a God commands joy? Well, I suggest one who is himself joyful. As the author Dallas Willard puts it, God is in fact the most joyous person in the whole universe. And if you know your Bible, you know this is backed up in the life and teachings of Jesus. There's uh, this famous line in John 15, right towards the end of Jesus' life, where Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, I've told you this, all of his teaching, so that, here's the end goal, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is his heart for you. What, what he wants for you is this deep, wide, unquenchable, insatiable joy that refuses stubbornly to go away. Now John goes on to say that this joy comes from the spirit of Jesus. Uh, and later on in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul elaborates on this. He, he tells us that one of the fruits of the Spirit being in us is joy. Uh, right before that verse, Paul tells us to walk in the Spirit. Right after it, he commands us to keep in step with the Spirit. And I think that is absolutely key. You see, so often we kind of want God to zap us with joy. And so we come along on a Sunday and we hold out our hands like, God hit me. I'm ready. And God does that at times. But real, true, lasting joy that doesn't just last for a couple of hours or simply through a meeting once a week. No, real, true, lasting joy is the output of a way of life living in step with the Spirit. It's like when you live that way in non-stop, ongoing, continuous awareness of God with you, the natural, inevitable byproduct is joy and a whole bunch of other things. Now, just to say, this really doesn't mean there is no place in our lives anymore for grief or for lament or even protest to God. I'm not encouraging here an artificial fake spirituality where you always have this kind of phony smile on your face. Don't forget, Jesus himself wept over the death of his close friend Lazarus. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, immediately before his arrest, trial and crucifixion, Jesus swept these drops of blood in agony over his own impending death. And so 
there is a time and a place where tears and mourning are the most fitting response. But the default setting for a follower of Jesus is joy and celebration, which is presumably why Paul says we should be joyful always, meaning no matter what we're up against, even if life isn't going well, even in those hard, difficult times, we're to be full of joy. That is God's will for you. Here's the second thing that makes up his will for your life. He wants you to never stop praying. Never stop praying. Now, just to say, prayer is like this broad category for all kinds of dialogue with God. There are all sorts of prayer. There's praise, thanksgiving, worship, where you focus on God and his character and the many ways he blesses us. There's petition, where you ask God to do stuff. There's intercession, pleading for God to do something on behalf of someone else. As we've seen, there's lament, where you give God your doubt, your confusion, where you ask where he is it's the gift of tongues where you're speaking in another language to God and there's listening prayer where really all you do is sit there and listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to your mind and your imagination. My point is there are so many ways to pray and so this can be applied in a variety of different ways but whatever it looks like the point is we are to never stop praying or as other translations put it, we're to pray continually, we're to pray without ceasing, we're to pray all the time. Which sounds great, doesn't it? But how on earth does this work out in practice? Like, are we supposed to quit our job and leave our family and move into a monastery? On reflection, I'd suggest not. I think Paul's simply saying that we're to live a life of non-stop, ongoing, continuous intimacy with God and out of that place we're then to go to work in the morning and clean the dishes and mow the lawn and go on a run and answer our emails or whatever else fills your day and everything we're to live out of this place of intimacy with God. To quote Dallas Willard once more he says the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practising the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practising, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon, our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. The number one priority for our lives is simply that, to keep God at the forefront of our thought life, to keep God at the forefront of our minds. 
And so for me, first thing I tend to do every morning is open my Bible with a cup of coffee in front of me and start the day with a posture of listening to what God wants to say to me. And then I seek to carry that awareness of God and his word with me through the day. And it takes time, but slowly but surely, I'm training myself to be two places at once, answering my emails and in the presence of God, on my daily cycle ride and in the presence of God, in a meeting and in the presence of God. That is where life and peace and joy is found. And I think that is what Paul's getting at here with this command to never stop praying. So, first of all, always be joyful. Second, never stop praying. Thirdly, be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances. Now, just notice, Paul doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. And I think that needs to be underlined. Because sometimes this verse can be misread to mean we should thank God for everything that happens to us. Like you lose your job, you get diagnosed with cancer, your, your children aren't following Jesus, you don't get the grades you need. You should thank God for all of that. No, not at all. Paul's saying that even if you're out of work, even if you get an unwelcome diagnosis, even if you fail your exams, even when your children are causing you heartache, still, all around you, there are things to thank God for. It's like, for Paul, although it's certainly not without its challenges, the only fitting response to life in God's world is one of gratitude. Which... Once again, doesn't mean there's not a place for grief and lament. But the point is that the default setting for a follower of Jesus, no matter what you're up against, is this lifestyle of perpetual, constant thanksgiving. Very practically, this helps. Why not get into the habit of first thing in the morning or maybe last thing at night, just jotting down three things that you're thankful for that day. And then look at that list a couple of times through the day and live in a place of gratitude. I'll tell you, that simple habit alone has the potential to reshape your whole life. So, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. The invitation, to all of us is to a life of non-stop, ongoing, continuous celebration, prayer and gratitude. And don't forget, Paul's writing this to a church facing persecution, to a church who were mourning the loss of loved ones, to a church who have had a pretty bumpy 12 months. Paul's saying, whatever you're going through, no matter what challenges you are facing, always be joyful never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're desperate to know God's will for your life, 
I suggest there is more than enough here to keep you busy for a while. Now, before I finish, very quickly, let me flag up three things that I believe all of this calls for. First of all, I think it calls for obedience. You see, knowing God's will isn't enough. The key question is whether we are willing to obey it. As I said at the beginning, I think a lot of the time we tend to focus, don't we, on wanting God to tell us what to do in the major decisions of life. And that's great, not knocking that. But ironically, far too often we refuse to obey what we already know. I mean, last year we worked through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, didn't we? Let me ask you, how are you doing at living that out? Loving your enemies, forgiving those who wrong you, contentment, faithfulness to your spouse if you have one, dealing with relational conflict, a life free from anxiety, putting your treasure into the kingdom of God, living free from materialism and discontentment and the constant lust for more stuff. That's just a brief summary of stuff we've been taught of late stuff we already know we have this right in front of us now here's the thing if we're desperately asking God to reveal his will to us for a decision that we're facing well at the same time not wholeheartedly obeying what we already know well, that's just a bit weird isn't it now look my point isn't that we shouldn't now ask God for guidance please do that but we already know 99% of God's will for our life. And here's what happens. As we faithfully obey the teaching of the Bible in the small, seemingly insignificant, cumulative habits of day-to-day -day life, usually what happens is that when we get to the fork in the road and the major decision has to be made. Uh, as we live in this lifestyle of ongoing obedience to what we already know, when we get there, most of the time, we already intuitively know what to do. Because along the way, we become the kind of people for whom the will of God becomes second nature. Not because an angel appeared to us or someone brought us this specific directive prophetic word, but because of a daily lifestyle of obedience to the teaching of God's word. So first of all, this calls for obedience. Secondly, it calls for countercultural living. These three simple instructions that we've been looking at was a lifestyle of joy and prayer and thankfulness. Let's face it, it's countercultural teaching that flies in the face of the way our city operates. Instead of joy, there's this blanket of negativity, protest, anger, cynicism and mild depression hanging over the city. Instead of prayer, there's self-reliance which perpetuates ever-increasing busyness and anxiety. And instead of thanksgiving, there's a spirit of entitlement where you owe me. And so... What Paul is calling us to here is a deeply, deeply subversive way of living that will cause us to stand out 
from the culture around us, which means it's going to be a battle because it's constantly going against the flow. And I want to put it to you, the stakes couldn't be higher right now. In the midst of all the COVID-induced chaos that we're living through at the moment, I believe we have a wonderful opportunity in front of us right now. If we take this on board and learn these fresh habits that help us to live this out, then I suggest our lives will be a sign and a wonder, demonstrating and pointing towards the revolutionary power of the gospel. And so I want to urge you to please, whatever you do, embrace this message, to take real, active, practical steps to apply it to your life, for your own well-being, yes, but also for the sake of our broken and lost city, which desperately, desperately needs a better narrative to live by. Over against negativity, anger and cynicism, we're called to rejoice. Over against self-reliance, busyness, anxiety, we're called to a life of prayer. A life where we slow down and live in conscious awareness of Jesus. And over against entitlement, we're called to gratitude. Live like this. I'm willing to guarantee that there will be people you know who will be desperate to find out the secret and will be increasingly open to the good news of Jesus. And then finally, I think this is something that needs to be lived out in community. This is one of the things I think we could easily miss in the English language translation we have in front of us right now. All three of these commands, that they're written not in the singular, but in the plural. Paul's saying, all of you together be joyful. All of you together never stop praying. All of you together be thankful in all circumstances. Paul's calling the Thessalonians as a community and in doing so, us as well, to be a community of celebration, to be a community of gratitude, to be a community of prayer, to help each other. Because let's be honest, a lot of the time we need help with this, don't we? So if there's not a lot of joy in your life, then get among people who have an abundance of joy and let it spill over into your life. If it's a struggle for you to pray right now because perhaps your doubt is so thick or you just don't know what to say, then seek out people who do know how to pray. Now, if you don't see anything to thank God for, then fill your life with people who see reasons for being thankful all over the place. In short, we need to apply this teaching as a community. And my hope, my prayer, is that over time, as we increasingly become a church like this, we'll be this stunning prophetic witness to our city of a life of celebration, prayer and gratitude. And that is God's will for your life. On the screen right now, I'm going to come a couple of questions for you just to chat among yourselves, to make this a little more real, a little more practical. What are you going to do as a result of this? And then after a few minutes, uh, our host for the morning will pop back up 
and finish things off.